Welcome back to React Native Radio Podcast, brought to you by kindness. We could all use a little extra kindness this holiday season. Episode 183, Debugging React Native Apps. Hey everyone, welcome to the React Native Radio Podcast, where we explore React Native together. I'm your host, Jamin Holmgren. I'm joined by two of my three tremendous co-hosts. Aditi, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing well. I'm uh, really looking forward to this episode, actually. This has been one that I've wanted to do for a while, so definitely looking forward to it. Me too. And Robin, uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Jamin. Really happy to be known as Tremendous. That made my day. Yeah, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be switching it up and using different synonyms. You got to shake it up. Uh, Harris is not here this morning. So Harris, uh, I'm sure that you're going to be catching up and listening to your co-hosts at some point. Hi, Harris. Hi, Harris. Hello. He's probably in Alaska. We miss you. Or something. Yeah, probably. He is moving west. So Alaska would be. That's the next step. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Red. Infinite Red is a premier React Native design and development agency located fully remotely in the USA for a lot longer than the pandemic year, actually, way back to... We were, we were quarantining before it was We cool. were the original quarantine. With years of React Native experience since React Native w- was released and deep roots in the React Native community, we are the hosts of Chain React and publish the React Native newsletter. Infinite Red is the best choice for your next React Native app. Hit us up at hello at infinite.red or just email me directly, jamin at infinite.red. All of the complaints about today's podcast will go to robin at infinite.red. <laughs> Hit us. I already read that part. You can learn more on our website, infinite.red. Okay, so today's topic. We are talking about debugging React Native apps. Jamin is really excited about this topic because his apps always have a lot of bugs. Well, okay, true, but okay, yeah, I, I, I don't have a good comeback. <laughs> that's that's a good one. <laughs> Let's talk about general debugging <laughs> techniques. Uh, so I, here, here's the thing: I think that before we can get into tools, we have to talk about just techniques in general. Because when I was a kid learning to program in QBasic. I didn't have all these fancy tools. Like QBasic actually came with some reasonable, like you could step through code. You can you could do like breakpoints and kind of cool stuff like that. I was, you know, honestly kind of surprising considering that it was 1991 or 1992 or something like that. But uh, there are some basic techniques that I learned even back in those days that still apply today. And then new ones that have kind of come along as I've progressed through my career. So the one that I would probably start with is uh, that a common mistake that I see new developers make and even experienced developers is that they try to guess at what's happening under the hood. Like they see something wrong and they make some assumptions. Like immediately there's some assumptions. Like there's there, there's something wrong. I think that this third party library just broke it. Or I think that this change that I just made just broke it. Generally speaking, they are probably right because usually the thing they just did often will be the the culprit. But when they're not right, when they're wrong and they continue down that vein of having that assumption, then it can be very frustrating. I mean, because, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to fix something that really isn't the problem. And often they don't know how or it's too difficult to get the system to really give them feedback on what is actually happening under the hood. So I I have this kind of basic thing that I've told junior developers that I've trained in the past. Before you can fix it, you have to break it. (laughs) Break it in a new way, okay? So like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been trying to work on a bug and then found out I was editing the wrong file, for example. And I wasn't even doing anything. All the time. Yeah. All the time. So what I what I try to do is I put like a nonsense 
you know, function call at the beginning of whatever I'm working on, did it break in a new way now? Did it like, or do you just introduce a syntax error? Does it fail, fail to compile, you know, or does it like, can I break it in a new way so that I know where I am? Like, just like an anchor point. This is where I am. Or even just put in an alert. Yeah. If you put in an alert Mm -hmm. and it doesn't fire, you know that you're not running what you think you're running. Exactly. So that's kind of like step one. You need to make sure that you are in the right file, editing the right thing, that it's even getting to the code that you think is the problem. Along with what Jamin was saying, I think it'll be nice to have junior developers also when they onboard, we could get them set up with all the debugging they need, irrespective of the technology it is. Because even when I was a junior developer, I was kind of hesitant to ask questions Mm-hmm. to whoever was on the team. So I used to think, you know, I'm I'm just going to try to figure this out. And I would try to do things by trial and error and be like, maybe this is the bug. Let me try fixing this and then spend days mm-hmm. without, you know, mm-hmm. realizing there are better ways to debug and I probably never even debug. So I definitely agree that this is kind of an initial startup problem for yeah. junior developers. It's also just a really hard thing to learn and to teach like like i feel like most of the debugging skills that i have i learned through like pairing Mm. just like you just have to watch someone who knows how to debug right yes fix a problem because it's it's at at some point it just becomes kind of an intuitive thing um i think it's it comes with practice too depending on Mm -hmm. you know which tech stack you're at and things like that Mm, exactly like if if you've learned if you first learned how to program in Ruby, uh, there's 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 different techniques and different uh, yeah tool sets. I like to think of this like you know like a doctor's office visit where you go with a problem and then they take all these series of tests to kind of diagnose what your health issue is before they give you medication or treatment, rather than be like oh I think this is probably malaria and then just mm-hmm. give you some meds so yeah. There's also probably a step before even what we just talked about, which is knowing how to read an error message, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's a step that a lot of new devs tend to skip. Mm -hmm. If you know how to read an error message, it can point you exactly to where the issue is, and you might not need to do a ton of bisecting and manual debugging. Yeah, it can be kind of difficult because it is a lot of text usually. There's a huge st- stack trace. It may mm-hmm. be kind of scary You have to know text. what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You kind of have to know where within the, 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 the stack trace something relevant might be. And I've seen some situations where someone will read the stack trace and get sidetracked by the wrong thing. Where mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it, well, it must be a problem in RCT view. There's a bug in React mm-hmm. Native. And it's like, well, it, that's... Knowing, <laughs> knowing how to look through yeah. a stack trace and find, like, you can ignore all the files that you did not create. <laughs> right. And you find Usually. the one line that's like a file that's actually something that you wrote. Yeah. And that's most likely a good place to start. Exactly. And then you can start by really kind of bisecting you can start so i'm not talking about git bisect although git bisect can be very powerful if you are running if you are trying to find where a bug is in a history of commits but i'm really talking about taking chunks of code and eliminating them as factors as possible sources of a particular error let's say you're getting a strange crash and it's not really giving you a helpful backtrace which unfortunately has been the case in a lot of a lot of React Native apps, a lot of React Native versions have gotten better about it for sure. But you, you need to figure out like where is this crash even happening? So you start by, you know, maybe short circuiting a whole section of code and saying, you know, does mm-hmm. this does this happen anymore? No, it does not. Okay, well let's go to the middle of that code and short circuit just the rest of it. Like you you run like half of it. Did it happen there? Yes, it did. Okay, well it must be in the top half. And now you just kind of keep dividing that in half. It's like 20 questions. You know, you're trying to cut down possibilities until you get to the line of code that's causing the problem. It's I mean, it's basically a it's just like a logical technique. It's like trying to guess a number that someone is thinking of in their head. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, is it greater than 100? No. Okay, so Mm -hmm. it's less than 100. You're like, okay, is it greater than or less than 50? Uh It's just sort of logical deduction. Mm -hmm. 
you're kind of untangling the layers, you know, one by one and then yeah. reaching, kind of isolating, isolating the real problem. Yeah. So I have a tractor story. Uh-huh. Let's hear it. <laughs> tractor story. <laughs> so That should be a new segment. Can we make that a new segment? <laughs> Jamin's tractor stories. So I have a tractor. I don't know if people know this. And uh, I was I was going to add some lights to the ROPS, the rollover protection system, which is a very fancy name for a rollover bar, which is just behind your head when you're driving it. Anyway, I wanted to put some LED lights on it just to light things up if I'm using my tractor in dark conditions. So I did a bunch of research and this is 12 volt wiring. You know, you have to, you have to like come off of the battery or off of another wire and you have to tie in and you have to make these connections all the way through. You have to run your wires properly. You have to have the right wire connected to the right, you know, wire to have a closed circuit and stuff like that. Um, and at its most basic level, computers kind of just, you know, circuits and stuff. So it's, it's not that different in some ways. So what I did, this is, this is, you know, I kind of used my debugging technique to figure out the best way to do this. I needed to know if there was a, there was a circuit in the back of the tractor and I needed to know what, is there power there? And not only that, but what is the red, you know, the red wire obviously should be the, the positive side of the, you have positive and negative, right? So the, the red should be positive. The, the black should be negative. How do I figure this out? So I could just plug in the lights and see if they work. You know, that would, that would be one way to do it. Mm -hmm. Or you can have some way to measure it, some way to check it, some way to, you know, like check your assumptions all along. So I actually bought a, a tool called a multimeter. And there was a long discussion on Twitter, how you're supposed to pronounce this. Multimeter? 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure my husband calls it a multimeter. That's probably right, in at least in America. Anyway, it's a it's a machine. You have two like wire probes that you can put into. You can contact them with the wires, and then it gives you readings on 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 it. And what I thought was really cool about it was I could actually connect it up to that, turn on the key, and I, I had to figure out, for example, is this switched or not? When I have the front lights on, is the is it powered, or you know, like do I if I turn it off, is it still powered? When I turn the key off, is it still powered? I don't want these lights to just be on, right? So using this tool, I was able to determine, yes, I have 12.7 volts at that connection. The red was positive. If I switched the, the two probes, then it like went negative, like negative 12.7. So this, this tool allowed me to check my assumptions, to check that I had power where I thought I had power. Then from then on, whenever I plugged into that, I knew that that's not the problem. Like that's got what I need. I, everything's good up to this point. Whenever I, you know, I'm wiring in the rest of the, the, the lights, if they're not working, it's something I did. It's not something the tractor, you know, had some problem with it. So to bring this back to our topic, debugging, you have to check your assumptions. Too many times I've had people, you know, that I've helped fix a problem and they say, well, I can't figure out what's wrong with my probe. Or <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure out what's wrong with my code. It's every time I make a change, it's not fixing the problem. And I'm like, well, is it even your code that's running? Is it even your code that's causing the problem? Or is it some other code? And uh, so, yeah, just checking those assumptions, having having some sort of way to to measure and report back, whether it's just an alert or or console.log or, you know, some of the tools that we'll get to a little bit later. It's really important. And the other thing is for production, making sure that you have crash reporting in production too. Because if someone's just reporting, hey, it, it crashes when I click on this, that's not all that useful. But if you have a backtrace and, you know, somewhere to start, then you can you can do a lot more. Hey, Jamin, can you tell that to my clients who said they didn't have time for us to implement crash reporting? <laughs> they, yeah, <laughs> you will spend far more time <laughs> <laughs> or or just like never fix stuff if you don't have crash reporting. Crash reporting is so important. And it I can't tell you how many times I've been doing this 15 years now. I've been consulting. I can't tell you how many times 
it's been like, well, you know, it's going to be kind of a pain to set that up. Well, it's going to be way more of a pain right. when your customers are telling yeah. you that the app's not working and you don't have any way to figure out why. Exactly. So often like, OK, let's say you're in a situation where you're like, OK, I'm, I'm running into this situation where the state of my app is not what I think it should be. You know, I click this button and instead of doing this, it's doing something else. You could just try to like console log your way out of it, or you could set up a tool like React DevTools or React to Tron or Flipper or something like that and get it to tell you what your state is at every step of the way. When you do that, you now have just so much more information about what's happening and often your assumptions will be wrong. Usually when you're beating your head against the wall, it just means that your assumptions are wrong. By the way, check this out. Got a Kubota hat. Oh my gosh. It's my tractor brand. (laughs) Do you have a picture of your tractor framed on your desk too? Good idea. (laughs) You can put it in front of the picture of your kids. (laughs) (laughs) So while we're talking about debugging, general debugging tips, have you heard of the rubber duck debugging method? Mm Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. (laughs) Explain it though to uh, to our listeners at DT. So the rubber duck debugging method is basically you're going to take a rubber duck and go in front of your laptop and explain to the rubber duck, because the rubber duck doesn't know what's going on with your code, line by line what's going on and kind of just, you know, explain what the problem is to the duck. And that's considered a pretty efficient technique for debugging code or, you know, fixing bugs in general, because most developers... um, do have a problem in explaining this to a coworker or somebody who doesn't know much about it. And the idea is that when we try to teach a concept to somebody who doesn't know anything about it, like the rubber duck, we would get a better understanding of it. And that could potentially lead us to, you know, figuring out where the issue probably is and gives us a deeper sense of understanding the problem, really. So that method would make you be like, oh, yeah, while I'm explaining to the rubber duck, I figured out where my bug was. And that sometimes works. I, I I do think, um, for me, teaching really helps. Teaching online courses really help me um, kind of go over the concepts and have a deeper understanding because I need to teach this to someone who doesn't know it. So I better know it really well. So that's the same concept with rubber duck debugging too. I would say like mm, five times out of 10, when I ask uh, for help on something in a Slack channel, by the time I finish writing it up and hit enter, I've I've usually figured out what was wrong. And my next response is usually never mind, figured it out. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yep. laughs> because like going through the problem enough to write it out mm will sometimes reveal things that you were it's very true. just missing. Also, my rubber duck of choice is Lego Hermione. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Which those of us on the Zoom call right now can see, but our listeners cannot. <laughs> she, I have a little, she looks awesome. I have a little Lego Hermione You know Hermione what I need? I need like a little, a little tractor uh, for my rubber duck. Yes. Like a little toy tractor. That would be perfect. Yes. There's got to be a little I'm writing that down. tractor toys out there. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I use my daughter sometimes. As oh, you just uh, explain it to your daughter? <clears throat> uh-huh. And explain like I'm two? Explain like yeah, I'm but three. these days she's asking, you know, follow-up questions, and I'm like, uh... Is she looking oh, for a job? <laughs> <laughs> she's she's smarter than I I want her to be, so... <laughs> she's, not, she's not doing a good rubber duck job these days. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so it's all about eliminating variables, really, and getting metrics in place and challenging your assumptions and making sure that you have all the right information. And then often the debugging part is pretty straightforward. You find that you misplaced something, you know, a, a parenthesis or, or something along those, those lines. Another thing that you have to make sure you, that you are doing is making sure that you can reliably reproduce the bug. So... When you have a bug that only shows up sometimes and you're just not sure and you're just kind of like wildly clicking around your app or you're you know tapping around your app, that can be very frustrating as well. So making sure that you document or like very carefully take note of all the steps that it took to get to the error condition, whatever it might be, whether it's an, a crash or if it's just the wrong state, it's extremely important to make sure that you can reproduce that reliably 
Now, sometimes it's not always possible. For example, race conditions can be very difficult where you have two pieces of code and when one finishes before the other, you know, it's asynchronous, then uh, it causes the bug. And when the other one finishes first, then it's fine. That can be very frustrating. But even in those cases, usually you can get to a state where you can reproduce it somewhat consistently. And when that happens, then you know that it's probably some sort of a race condition. I'd say race conditions are one of my least favorite uh, bugs to encounter. Yeah. Especially when there's an API involved. Yeah, totally. Or like a database involved. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, they, they can be very frustrating, very difficult to, to debug. And difficult to resolve, too. Yeah. Uh, in some Even cases. when you know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when you just put sleeps in, right? Yep. <laughs> Throw in a loading spinner. Uh, note to audience, that is not what you do. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to React Native itself, let's get into more specifics. The first place that I think I would send people is to go look at the reactnative.dev website, the debugging guide. And there's a lot of good it's information. pretty thorough. There. Yeah. It has a lot of great stuff. There is, uh, within your simulator, here's some tools that you have. Uh, the first thing that they mention is the in-app developer menu. So you have, if you hold, in, in iOS, if you hit Command D, or if you're an Android on Mac, you hit Command M, or if you're on Windows or Linux, you hit Control M, uh, it will pop up a menu for React Native in development mode. This is disabled otherwise. Mm-hmm. You can tap reload, you can start your remote JS debugging, you can enable and disable live reload and hot reloading. There's a few other things too, the inspector and performance monitor. We, we'll get to those. Uh, but this, this obviously is kind of a first place to start because if you have a bug, sometimes the best thing to do is just refresh, reload the, reload the, the app. Just be careful. I've gotten into uh, scenarios where weeks will go by and I realized that I've basically just refreshed every time a certain bug happened but really there's something that i actually need to fix because an actual user will not have the ability to refresh the app (laughs) right that's very (laughs) true yes that's a that's a good point and it's a good idea to probably test on a regular device so that it's not as you know not as simple to just reload the app in more more of a condition that the user would be using it also test test in um, release mode. Yes, yeah. Because that can sometimes change how how things load. Yeah, so you would deploy to your app using release mode, which would disable some of the things, some of the kind of some some of the options you have when you're in debug mode or development mode, I should say. I've noticed that the in app like the reload sometimes gets stuck. Uh, I have kind of this escalating process I use. First, I'll just you know Command R if that doesn't work, then I'll hit Command D and I'll hit click reload. And if that doesn't work, then I'll go up to the menu and I'll click shake device, which I think opens up. Well, actually, I think on Expo, it opens up the debug menu. Does it also? It op- on- it's it's on uh, just vanilla React. It does too? too. Okay, cool. And so you can hit shake device and then hit reload. And if all else fails, then just swipe it away in your simulator. I looked into that a little bit mm-hmm. and I, I found that uh, there was a specific issue with oh, iOS 13.4 simulators mm. where the the input focus kept getting switched mm. so that your keyboard inputs wouldn't trigger the menu. So I've started using iOS 13.3 simulators. Interesting. Uh, and I have less of a problem with the menu not opening. Not opening up, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that does seem to be something that's been around for a while, though. That, that tends to seem, tends to happen. Um, but yeah, that's that's good to know. Uh, I have to admit, there's some options in this menu that I don't think I've ever used. Yeah, like what what's SysTrace? I think that actually, and Robin and I were talking in our in our pre podcast time that there are actually in my in my show prep, I found a lot of tools that we haven't used or don't use fully. I feel like. I feel like this is a fairly common thing. Like people don't generally invest probably enough time, and I'll include myself in this, Mm -hmm. in learning the debugging tools that would make their life so much easier if they just knew them. So, and I agree, like I open up this in-app developer menu and there are things in there that I don't use very often or at all. And so 
investing some time in that is is pretty good. We're going to go through that uh, that that list of of things. So obviously reloading, remote JS debugging is the next one, and with that you can use Chrome to you know Chrome Developer Tools to debug job, the JavaScript part of your app remotely. It opens a new tab with a localhost uh, website that pops up. And then you can also use React DevTools uh, to, you know, kind of inspect the mm-hmm. React, you know, uh, the, the React components within it. Or you could just use React Native Debugger, which does both. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a standalone tool. You install that. And when when you have that installed and open and you hit, you know, start remote JS debugging, your React Native debugger is going to open up and basically do the same thing. It's going to have your Chrome. It looks kind of like Chrome. It has your Redux dev tools and mm-hmm. everything set up already. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, there's there's a lot of great functionality in there. You can see console logs. You can look at network and performance in your memory mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of learn all of that. It's really cool if you're using uh, Redux because you can keep, you know, you probably have a ton of stuff on Redux and you can see yeah. like the states diff. Uh, so whenever like a state changes, you can hit the diff, diff tab yeah. and look at what really changed and it'll highlight yep. that for you. So it's been really useful. I've used it for a couple of years now and I really love it. There's a, You can also do breakpoints. And when mm-hmm. you do a breakpoint, uh, you can actually examine the active threads that were running right before the breakpoint was was used and also the call stack of the current thread where the breakpoint was executed. So it allows you to, uh, you know, really see how, how does this code arrived at? How did we get here? Yep. And recently they also added like the Apollo client dev tools. Mm-hmm. So yep. if you're using like uh, GraphQL, you could use, and with Apollo, you can use these dev tools as well. So it's kind of right. like, an all-in-one box that you can use for React yeah. Native debugging. You can use breakpoints in Google Chrome directly. Mm-hmm. So if you put a breakpoint in, and how actually do you add a, a breakpoint? You can add your breakpoint within your, basically your source code. When you open your React Native debugger, you can pull up the source folder and basically go into whichever components or container files mm-hmm. you want and add the breakpoint there within the React Native debugger. Got it. So yeah. it allows you to just uh, click on the mm-hmm. the gutter and and add the yep. breakpoint there. This is yep. not a this is not a tool I've used, so uh, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That would it's be very kind of just like helpful. what you would do on Chrome but just mm-hmm. neat with everything in a box, yeah. Yep. And that's, yeah, so that's, that's very, very helpful. And so that's called React Native Debugger. And you can find, we'll, we'll link to that. Uh, there's obviously, yeah, React DevTools. Uh, you can inspect React components. You can see the props for the React components. And you can also use, uh, so I'm going to actually talk about Reactatron a bit too. So Reactatron is, a, is another similar tool that we make at Infinite Red. It... Uh, it allows you to, insp- it's more focused on state and also timeline. So you can see debugging, you know, mm-hmm. logs and, and uh, uh, you can log out like objects and like it, browse yeah. them and stuff. It shows you actions mm-hmm. like async storage actions, network requests, yep. state. Yeah. And the state part is pretty cool because you can watch just particular parts of your state and see when they change. You, you know, subscribe to them, basically. And this can work for Redux, Redux Sagas. You can use it on MobX state tree as well. It uh, it allows you to look at any of your state. You can also save snapshots of state. And so that can be very helpful as well. You can, you can replay uh, snapshots of your state and get into a certain state. You can do custom, you can add custom buttons to Reactatron that allow you to click the button and it runs code in your app. So let's say that you want to have mm-hmm. an really useful what, what do you use it for we use Robin? it because i we use it for things like uh, anything you can think of pretty much uh like if i want to clear the navigation state mm-hmm. because like i've added some screens and it's in a funky place yeah. clear the navigation state clear the store i use it to open like special debugging screens or open screens that i maybe don't have a path to through the ui mm-hmm. yet um pretty much anything you can do in code you can have Reactatron do for Appreciate you. It, yeah. So how do you yeah. how do you spell Reactatron? 
Reactatron is R-E-A-C-T-R-O-N. Or is there an O in there? Oh, my gosh. Because when I Googled it, I got Reactathon, which is a conference. Okay. Reactatron. T-O-T-R-O-N. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually a little bit of a funky spelling, but yeah, it's it's it runs on Windows, it runs on Mac, runs on Win- Linux. It's a Electron app, uh, pretty lightweight though, and I think that uh, I I do know that we get a lot of people telling us that they really love using it. That the user experience it's more limited than something like React Native Debugger, but it has a good kind of developer experience around it. So it's it's more it's more I think polished in some ways. Uh, in in terms of what it does, and of course the benefit of, of being able to inspect Mavic State Tree state mm-hmm. is a pretty big deal, because we use a lot of Mavic State Tree at Infinite Red. By the way, I don't know if I've mm-hmm. uh, announced to the podcast listeners that I've taken over Mavic State Tree as the primary maintainer, but I did that Ooh. recently, and I'm building a core team around Mavic State Tree. We actually. Had a ton of interest. I have, I think, over twenty people now who are interested in contributing to Mobex State Tree. So stay tuned okay. for that. We might talk about that and more in the future. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, I imagine we'll have a, an MST dedicated episode. So it could do both Mobex State Tree and Redux, then. Correct. The yeah, it has okay. plugins yeah. for both of those things, and you can build your own plugins for other state uh, systems. You know, whether it's unstated or you know any of these others you can you can build uh your your own plugins it's pretty straightforward it's also built into flipper uh so we'll talk about flipper probably more in a separate episode flipper is kind of its own topic in and of itself of course flipper comes from facebook fb fbflipper.com i think it is and it or is it flipper fb sorry i, I don't know google it it's a desktop app that allows for inspecting more native stuff like you can actually you know deep dive in it's it was actually originally built for non-react native debugging and then it has been expanded to allow that reactatron is one of the, it was i think the first plugin released for flipper they uh facebook actually approached us and said hey would you mind building reactatron into flipper as a as a plugin so we did that so you can get it as a standalone or you can build, you can use it as a plugin in Flipper itself. Either way, works really well and mm-hmm. um, fits in really well with the Flipper ecosystem because Flipper needed that kind of state, you know, state management side of things as well as just better support for for logging and stuff. I find the network like the the network request logging extremely helpful mm-hmm. in Reactatron. It's uh it's when I'm working with a client who's building an API mm-hmm. for us, being able to snapshot the requests that we're making and the responses that we're getting. And I can like I can paste it to them as curl, as JSON, mm-hmm. as whatever. And so to see exactly what's going on with the net request is really helpful. Yeah. I'd say one thing that Reactatron doesn't do that can sometimes be a big piece of debugging is native logging. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually know if any of the debugging tools out there really handle native logging flipper does so that's where i think flipper like flipper plus reactatron i think works really well because flipper will give you native uh crashes and native Mm -hmm. logs and so yeah because there's sometimes where you you really just need to see the native logs there's i know there's been some crashes where it it, it's crashing before it even gets to the javascript Mm -hmm. layer and you really don't have any other choice than to to peek into logcat or the Xcode logs. So it also, so Flipper also comes with a layout inspector. So that, and that's native, native layout inspector. So that can be very helpful, especially if you're trying to figure out like, you know, uh, are, are we, are we building this in a way that is getting way too nested, you know, kind of for performance reasons and just, just other things like that. So how does that differ from the, the inspector, in the React Native debug menu. So the the React Native debugger uses or it's inspecting more the the React part of it, the JavaScript part of it. Like you know, you have your components and you what props are being passed in and whatnot. Where Flipper is inspecting the actual what's rendered, you know, the actual native yeah. mm-hmm. views. So it, you you know, having both is honestly, I would use all these tools. I would have all of these tools at my disposal. I would learn them all have them all available. Reactatron is free. 
So so is Flipper. So is uh, React Native Debugger. So Flipper, is it available? I guess it's in the latest version, right? You have to be on 0.63, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, having, yeah, that that's, you, you have to be on a, I, is it 6.3 that, that requires it? I thought it was 6.2. 6.2, 2 point something. I don't know. It has to be, I guess, Flipper. Yes, 0. 0.62. 0. 0.62, okay. okay, perfect. And uh, so you do need to be on a relatively recent Rea- uh, <laughs> React Native version in order to use it. But if you can, I would definitely have it and then have Reactatron in, inside of it as a plugin or as a standalone app if you prefer it that way. And if you're in 6.3, I guess, or even 6.2, the other cool thing you can use is the Logbox mm-hmm. um, for yep. basically console logging alternative for React yep. Native. Um, it's kind of a neat uh, display that you have, which has a red box and a yellow box, and you're going to display your console logs. on your. You can see it on your emulator. And if you don't want to see any of it, you can always ignore it. But it's kind of nice where while you're debugging, you can add all these logs, and it's going to basically alert you with everything that you need to know from the log. There were a lot of people that worked on that. I want to shout out to Rick Hanlon, who has done a lot of the work on it, including kind of designing, you know, better errors around this. But yeah, Logbox has been fantastic since it came out. It's uh, it's just so much nicer experience. You can dismiss some types of errors so that you can see what state your app was in, bef- you know, before the error occurred. Some errors like syntax errors, you can't dismiss, obviously, because it didn't build anything behind it. But uh, but for, you know, unhandled exceptions and stuff, it can be very, very helpful. And it's just a more friendly. I remember back in the, the day, it was all just like this big, bright red screen yeah. <laughs> with a massive text all the way through it. It's the red, <laughs> red screen of death. The red screen of death. Exactly. Yeah. We, you know, if you've been working in React Native for a while, you, you'll remember that. But it's so much nicer now with the with the new log box. Uh, speaking of native logs, you can also see them on the in the terminal if you do npx npx React native and then log iOS or log Android, and those will show up in your terminal. So if you don't have access, if you don't have Flipper, you can still run those and see what the the native logs are. Obviously, you can also run them run it in Xcode or in Android Studio instead of from your terminal and go and use their debugging tools, including seeing logs in their console. Pro tip, if you're using the command line logging, it's sometimes helpful to pass in a grep argument mm-hmm. uh, for your app name or I think capital React, capital Native. Because mm. there's sometimes a lot of noise uh, from the other like processes going on yeah. in the simulator. So yeah, you... Maybe helpful to use grep to filter down what you're looking at. This is one thing that I found quite frustrating from a lot of libraries is they tend to just spawn tons and tons of warnings and errors and and random stuff that doesn't actually affect anything. It's not anything we can affect at the moment. Maybe it's some problem internally to React Native or some problem otherwise. It it just it it just the signal signal to noise ratio is just so so bad sometimes. Deprecation warning. <laughs> Deprecation warning that you can't change. <laughs> the other thing to note is um, having too many console.logs would hit your performance. Mm-hmm. So make sure that while you're debugging, you have them, and then you can have a setting where you turn off all the console.logs so you don't send that to prod because that's yes. going to slow your performance. Definitely, that's a, that's a big one. I'd like to move into the React Native Inspector itself. So in the the menu that the developer menu that pops up on the device itself, you have a few different options and one is the React Native Inspector. It's actually an on-device or on-simulator inspector and allows you to inspect mm-hmm. items in like you can tap on items in your view and see information about them. So that can be very helpful. Have you two used that inspector at all? Yeah, I use it all the yeah, time. Yeah, because, all the time. Because that's like the easiest spot for like, especially UI related, styling related stuff. Um, when I'm when my emulator is turned on, mm-hmm. if I know there's something off with the padding, something doesn't look right, I just go in there and it's going to list out all your styling information. Like it would tell yeah. you like what's the margin, font size, color, everything. And it even has like um, some kind of a small... Um, 
like a picture where it'll show you the measurements of that specific mm -hmm. element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's really it's useful. It can be really too. helpful. So for UI related stuff, I use it all the time. Very cool. Figure out if you've got flex one on something that you didn't expect. Yep. Yeah. Uh, also, tried and true, don't be afraid to use border color red border with one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Old school debugging. I love Old it. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> where is this box maybe it's not even where's this box? i've had situations it's where not even it's there not, it's just collapsed like it's just not even there exactly yeah, yeah i definitely like it because it's it's easier than going into your style sheet and mm -hmm. looking for the style right so you just you know this is just faster and easier yeah really i mean i'm going to come back to this again but i see this too often with new developers they try the trial and error far too much and they don't just go in and like find out what exactly is going on before they start doing that. So mm -hmm. having these tools available and being able to get a complete picture of what's happening, like a mental model of what's happening is so, so important to debugging. You're going to beat your head against the wall for three days versus, you know, get it, get, get the tools in place and, and be ready to go in three hours. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is actually one of the reasons I got into this profession and enjoy coding so much is that, computers don't do anything of their own accord. Like <laughs> everything that they're doing has a logical reason behind mm -hmm. it. You just have to find yes. it. Talking about performance. So performance issues are bugs as well. And there are some tools in place. During show prep, I found an amazing article by Louis Zavadsky, I think. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't say that correctly. Um, on blog.bam.tech. It is about debugging React Native performance issues. It actually was, I think it came out in September. So it's it's fairly recent. Did a great job with this. Uh, he he goes through reproducing the error, reproducing the issue, and using thread profilers on the device to you know see. Are we getting RAM issues? You know, uh, what 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 UI FPS are we hitting, etc. As as not just UI, but also the JavaScript thread as well. You want to be hitting sixty FPS, right? Uh, profiling JavaScript, timing debugger, like looking through the the tree of JavaScript calls. It's not like a super super long article, but it has lots of screenshots and it has a lot of information. It also talks about Flipper and how it can help you. So definitely check that out and read that for performance help. There's also a perf monitor in the simulator itself and he talks about that. So that is, I think, a, a good place to start. What other tips for performance debugging do you have? Well, to be quite honest, Jamin, I think performance is one of those things that a lot of us, even experienced developers, tend to put like last priority. Yeah. It's really easy to say, well, it's working. <laughs> it's just slow. Yeah. Just like me. <laughs> With performance, uh, I think debugging kind of is, I, I don't know if that's the right word. I guess you do profiling. Mm -hmm. um, and I would do like checks like, okay, is Hermes turned on? Mm -hmm. Do we have that in this project? If not, do it. And then we would look at simple things like if you have these large lists, do you are you using the right component? Are you using yeah. section list or flat list? Right. Are you using keys within your... Um, you know, views for list items. So it's more like a code check. Um, and then I would make sure there's no like console logs, just flooding mm -hmm. the code base. Um, so just kind of like the checklist. Uh, I don't know if you recall, we talked with Gant the other day mm -hmm. about the checklist uh, before you go into prod with the React Native app. And that addresses right. some of these performance checklists as well. So yeah. I would do that um, quite often. To, and that usually helps. Um, but if we're seeing like specific issues, um, there's also things like with the animations, we need to make sure in React Native you're using the uh, native thread rather than like the JavaScript thread. Right. Um, there's just a bunch of things I check off and that usually helps. But yeah. I think that performance is going to be probably a full episode in and of itself, uh, to be honest. There's a lot to go over with that. Maybe we could get someone on the on the program who 
you know, has, has some good experience around this and, and, right. uh, you know, interview them, but I really good. Yeah. Really good information there. DT there. There's a ton more resources that I found while I was doing show prep for this, for this show. But I think that we can probably call that a wrap. Uh, that, that was definitely, there's a lot more to debugging. Of course, I actually consider debugging to be one of my probably strongest parts of my skill set. Probably a big piece of that was, you know, like that whole QBasic days. I didn't have Stack Overflow. I didn't even have the internet. <laughs> I couldn't go look it up. I had to figure it out myself. So if I wanted to finish whatever it was, it was just trial and error. A lot of old school debugging techniques came out of that for me. And just the the importance of knowing, like, am I in the right spot? Am I even editing the right file? Am I, am I are my assumptions correct? Really, really helped me further on. Then from there, you know, just learning the tools and learning what tools are available, how they work, how to, how to implement them. You know, there, you can go, you can go as far as diving into memory issues and memory leaks. There's so much more to this topic, but I think that, that that's, that's a pretty good, pretty good stopping point there. Okay. Now we come to the part of the program where we talk about weird bugs. Does anybody have a weird bug? We have a weird bug. It's actually one of those bugs that we have kind of found ways around, but haven't totally pinpointed how to avoid it. Uh, But this is on our project we're working on right now that uses a mono repo to do web and mobile uh, with some shared code. One of the challenges with that is we keep running into circular dependency issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, How that shows up in Mobex state tree is we once in a while we'll get this really vague error which says expected Mobic state tree type as argument one got undefined instead mm-hmm. uh, on a line of code that usually works <laughs> pretty straightforward. <laughs> We're passing a model as a type Yeah, should work. Every once in a while, we get this really cryptic vague error. Hmm. Well, we're pretty sure it's happening because of circular dependencies, which means when a file is importing something, from another file, but then that file also is importing something from the first file. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it can happen in kind of a roundabout way through like a chain of imports and exports. It, it, it isn't always just one file to one file, so it can be kind of hard to find. Mm-hmm. But apparently that this is what Mob XDA tree does when uh, you have a circular dependency. It'll just be undefined, basically. And, and I don't even think it's necessarily Mob XDA tree specifically it's it's more that metro is leaving it as undefined until it resolves all of the uh, yeah the yeah. different things and then That's it comes point. back and kind of like re-adds that so th- this can yeah but this can be very frustrating by the way one of our priorities on the mobx state tree core team is to improve me- error messages like this tremendously so we're going to be putting a lot of effort into improving error messages so that they're not so you know like what's going on here, but yeah, that that's a tough one. And, and Mobex State Tree has a way to work around this. You can you can pass in types lazy, which basically waits until everything is done before it actually runs the type. Mm-hmm. And then circular dependencies work fine because it it has it now has what it needs and and it can pass it in instead right. of right. The, the issue is when it's it's kind of like a race condition, right? It is, yeah. So if it, if it's trying to load it in, yeah, at compile time. Is that the right term? It's not an asynchronous race condition, but it's more like a file order. <laughs> the first the first pass through, it's undefined, and then it, it comes through again and everything's now defined and it can pass the references to the proper spots. Right. But since you're building the Mobic state tree model, you know, in the first pass, it, it doesn't have what it needs. So that's where lazy yeah. then allows it to to run in the second pass. But yeah, that that can be that can be a very frustrating thing. And what's funny is Mark posted it. Mark, I feel like Mark finds all these bugs for us. It's always <laughs> it's always Mark. Mark. Uh, <laughs> but he posted this this error, and I looked at it. And I saw what was happening. I immediately knew this has got to be a circular dependency because I've run into this so many times. And so, you know, hey, just just do dot lazy types dot lazy, and it'll fix it. He ended up actually finding a different way. Uh, I think he removed the thing that was causing the circular dependency and then it well yeah it's kind of the way we've been getting around this Mm -hmm. this bug is just not importing this one thing from the problematic file types.lazy though is really the way to go with that yeah types.lazy 
it's also useful if for whatever reason you have a model that uses like has has a property of a certain type Mm -hmm. and then you have that type also references the first type yes so like yeah if you have user like a user model and each user has a list of friends and then you have a friend model that has a list of users, something <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. where you're importing two things exactly like from yep. each other types dot lazy there you go yeah because then it <laughs> will it will wait on defining one of those relationships until very both cool. are defined very cool all right where can people find you online to have you solve all of their debugging problems for them uh aditi where can where can people find you <laughs> they can find me at Aditi Ravi on Twitter. And Perfect. I think another strategy that works with debugging is if you're really stuck, you don't know what's going on, just walk away. Walk away. Oh, that's go a good for a point. Walk and, you know, drink some tea or whatever you like and come back. And usually that really helps. That's a really good point. We should have mentioned that earlier. I, I totally <laughs> agree. Uh, sometimes yeah. just even sleeping on, some, you know, you sleep and, and your brain mm-hmm. kind of sorts things out and you wake up with the answer in your, yeah. in your, in your mind. Absolutely. Robin, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at Robin underscore Hines with an E at the end. Perfect. I am at Jamin Holmgren, and you can find our podcast Twitter at React Native RDIO because we had to cut one letter out, unfortunately. So we cut the A. Uh, React Native Radio, but without the A at the end there. And as always, thanks to our producer and editor, Todd Wirth. Our transcript and release coordinator, Jed Bartolowski. Bartowski? Oh my God. Bartowski? It's an inside joke. Sorry. Uh, and our social media coordinator, Missy Warren. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. Check us out at infinite.red slash React Native. Special thanks to all of you listening today. Make sure to subscribe on. All of the major podcasting platforms. Actually, you really only need to subscribe on one. You know, just find the one that you actually use. And you can, you know what, actually. Wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe everywhere. You know, we'll take the extra views. That's totally fine. It's good for our egos. Uh, But just find us, React Native Radio, wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.